This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling Money Pit is presented by the Angie app and QuickCrete. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy fall home improvement season, everybody. If you've got a project on your to-do list, you can start that project right now when you reach out to us with your questions at one Money Pit or go to moneypit.com slash ask. You know, now is a really good time of year to think about organizing your garage so you can get all that off-season storage back in place. So on today's show, we're going to have tips to make that project go fast and easy. And whether your old furnace is shot or you want a more efficient upgrade, a new furnace should never be an impulse buy. But too many times, that's exactly what does happen, especially if your furnace gives out in the middle of winter. Yeah, or the middle of a home inspection. You know, when I was a home inspector, I used to find furnaces. Has that really happened? Yes. I used to find furnaces that had to be replaced immediately because they were dangerous, like cracked heat exchangers that could leak combustion gas back into the house. And I swear, I found them like at the start of a home inspection. And by the end of the inspection, two or three hours later, the new furnace is getting wheeled in the door. And I'm like, I bet you didn't think that was going to happen today. But, you know, if it's the middle of winter, you got to do it. That's bananas. Yeah. Well, better safe than sorry, right? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we're going to share some tips, you guys, to help you make a smart choice when it does come time to replace that furnace. And we're going to talk about ceramic tiles. They are durable and easy to care for. But what happens if one tile breaks and you can't find a replacement? Well, we've got some tricks of the trade for fast fix-ups for tile projects to help you out of that conundrum. All right, but first we want to help you create your best home ever. From bathrooms to basements and demolition to decor, we are your coach, your counselor, your cheerleader for all those projects, big and small. So let us know what you are tackling this fall season so we can lend a hand. The number here is one Money Pit, or you can go to moneypit.com slash ask for the fastest possible response. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Bella from Bristol, Virginia, is joining us here at the Money Pit. What's going on at your house? We stained our deck with a solid stain a year ago. And okay. not long into the year, the stain started coming up or chipping. So uh, is there a reason for that, and how can you prevent that? That's too bad. You know, was this deck new when you did this? No. Mm-mm. No, it's about 20 years old. Normally, the reason that happens is because the deck was too wet when the stain was put down, if it was damp and not fully dried out and, you know, staining decks is tricky because you really got to work with the weather, right? I mean, it can't be too hot because then the stain actually dries too quick, but if it's, if it's damp and even sometimes like the fall and the spring, you know, it's hard to get that right time. You've got to have a good full day or two of, of sunshine for it to be right to take that. So at this point, what I would do, unless it's really coming off in sheets, is what I would do is I would occasionally, you know, every two, maybe three months, is I would scrape off the loose spots and then just touch it up and kind of just nurse it along that way. Because 
unfortunately, the only real solution here is to strip it all off, and that's just a big project. And if it's not coming off in big sheets, I would try to nurse it along. Yeah, it's not coming off in sheets. We do get those calls as well. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Sorry we didn't have better news for you, but that's the best thing to do right now. Ryan in California is on the line with all that buzzing. He's got some bees at his place. What's going on? I'm having a really bad problem with uh, meat bees or yellow jackets with my cat food. I can't put my cat food out. I have traps all over the yard everywhere, which they're filling up very fast. But I need some help with these bees. What can you do for me? There's a type of trap that's made by the company's called Rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E. Uh, and it's called a trap stick. And... I like these. I've used them. They're like plastic baskets that are brightly yellow, and they have uh, a a sort of tube inside of them that's covered with adhesive, and they last a year, and the wasp will crawl into this basket and get stuck there. So these traps have to depopulate a little bit. There's not going to be an easy way for you to completely eliminate bees in the cat food. However, I do have one suggestion, and I've used this to try to, and I'm working in an area that has a lot of mosquitoes or, or biting flies. I'm not going to get rid of mosquitoes. I'm not going to get rid of the biting flies. And sure, I could put on DEET and that sort of thing. But you know what's really effective? A fan. Because if you put a little wind through that area, the bees can't fly there. They can't land. And that actually keeps them away. So you might want to think about that. If you've got a little, you know, oscillating table fan that you could set up for the kitty when the kitty is eating outside, that will definitely keep the bees away from the cat food. Well, that's pretty smart. Good call. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Hey, you want to support our podcast and help us grow? Well, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be forever grateful. Plus, you'll be helping other homeowners discover our show. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. We've got Marcy on the line who's looking to sell her house and needs some help deciding what projects will benefit it. How can we help you, Marcy? I have a house that I have to sell, and the drywall and the ceiling of the garage needs to be replaced, do you think that I should do that prior to putting it on the market? Is it that important? You know, Marcy, when you have a project like that, and you mentioned the garage and the ceiling needing to be replaced, and you, you, you know about it, you know it has to be done, or maybe you think personally it has to be done, that may not be the priority for the potential home buyer. So I think I might ask your real estate agent when you list the house whether or not it's a project that you think you should do. Because the thing is, what I've found after doing being a home inspector for 20 years is that, you know, I've seen homeowners do the things that they think need to be done and, and miss, 
huge things that really need to be done, uh, but they didn't know it. So I don't know that I would run out and change that. The only reason, first of all, garages are typically sold unfinished, right? So you don't have to worry if it doesn't look pretty. Secondly, the only reason to really have a garage ceiling is because it's part of the fire break between the garage and the rest of the house that they're separated by a fire wall, essentially. So that's why garages are usually, the drywall is usually five-eighths of an inch thick, and it's a fire-rated drywall board. It's much heavier and denser than regular half-inch drywall that's used for interior walls. Um, if it's missing, and it's, it might be a code issue, if there's a code uh, requirement that you must pass when you sell a house. But again, I don't think something like that I would run out and do necessarily unless I got some more information that it was ultimately going to be required, or maybe you had a real estate professional say it was a good idea. So I'd hold off for now. All right, time to talk foundations with Randy from Missouri. What's going on at your money pit? A few months ago, I had my foundation jacked up uh, from underneath, and they did, a, they did a good job, in my, my opinion. What they recommended me doing is sealing the entire foundation and even sealing the uh, the vents. And my vents were the biggest question. They want to seal off all my vents. So, look, first of all, I hope that these guys were engineers and not just people that are in the foundation repair business because there's a lot of guys out there that are, you know, they're just foundation repair people and they don't know as much as engineers. And, frankly, in my opinion, a lot of them shouldn't be doing the repairs they're doing. But aside from that issue, your, your question is really about the moisture. And, sure, a crawl space is going to have dampness and a basement's going to have dampness to it. Uh, what they're talking about is to seal the entire foundation and, and vents from the inside. That's an approach. I don't know if it's necessary for you. If you want to reduce the moisture that's down there, there's some very basic things that you can do that will accomplish that. First of all, uh, you would put down, and this is a, is this a dirt foundation, a dirt floor? A dirt floor, yes. Okay, so what you're going to want to do is put down a plastic vapor barrier, and as few seams as possible, basically cover the entire floor with plastic sheeting that you'd buy at a home center. And buy the thick stuff because it's easier to work with and just overlap it. And then once you've done that, the vent should be open except for, say, November through January on, on the foundation. And then what you want to do is reduce the amount of moisture that gets down there in the first place. And for that, you're going to go outside and look up at your roof line and your gutters They've got to be clean. They've got to be free-flowing. If you can get out there in a really nasty rainstorm and see what's happening with water that's getting into those gutters, you want to see all of it coming out those downspouts and not overflowing in any way, shape, or form. If we know the gutters are working really well, then we look at the downspouts because typically most downspouts are discharging within a foot or two of the foundation. If you've got crawl space moisture, you want to get those out four or five, six feet. So you get some leader material at the home center, attach it to the end of those downspouts, do a good job, screw the sections together, and then that water will discharge away from the foundation and not find its way back into that crawl space area. And lastly, take a look at your grading. If the soil around the house is flat or if it's retaining water, because sometimes we do things like have like landscape borders and things like that that tend to trap water against the foundation. The goal here, Randy, is to move the water away from the foundation through all the methods that we suggested. And it's as simple as that. If you do that, that will uh, do a lot to reduce the humidity and the moisture uh, in that crawl space. If you want to do one more thing, you could put in a, a, a crawl space dehumidifier. 
I got one down in my crawl space. It's made by Santa Fe. It's not the kind that sits on the floor with the bucket that has to be emptied. It basically hangs off like a sort of an ingenious suspension system that they design with their systems. And uh, it hangs from the underside of the floor joists, actually. So when it comes on, the vibration doesn't bother you or anything and does a good job. And then that just pumps right outside. So those are the sorts of things I would do rather than seal the entire foundation at this point. Okay, thank you now. Well, fall has just begun, and it's the perfect time to organize your garage. So the first step is to take stock of what you have in there and what you'll be storing away for those cooler months. Now, do you have bicycles taking up space? Is there some off-season sports equipment? What about those beach folding chairs or maybe the lakeside stuff that you bring around? The best way to store these items is up. So you need to look into some suspended shelving that's going to keep those off-season items just out of the way and free up all of that valuable floor space. Or you can consider hanging these items from hooks on the wall. Now, if you've got kids, it's also a good time to go through all the gear to see what you can toss and donate. Are those inline skates in bad shape or no longer fit in your kids? What about helmets? What about other protective gear? Get rid of what you no longer use. Yeah, in our town, we always have like a sports equipment exchange. And everybody's like, who needs a cleat size blah? I got this. That makes so much sense. That's awesome. So great to share everything around. Now, next, you've got to decide where you want to store any lawn and garden equipment that you might be keeping in that garage. It's a good time to get those garden tools cleaned, organized, and up on a pegboard. And you want to keep rakes and other fall tools handy. And uh, I hate to say it, guys, but it's a good time to get those snow shovels and snowblowers uh, kind of at the ready to use because it's going to come sooner than you think. My snowblower has been ready to use since last year when I bought it. But we didn't have any snow. (laughs) And never used it. Hoping to break it in this year. (laughs) Well, lastly, you want to make sure any hazardous materials like de-icers, gasoline, oil, or lawn and garden chemicals are stored safely or even better in a separate location like, say, a shed. It's a good time to get all those organizational projects done right now. The seasons are shifting. So why not spend your first fall weekend getting ready for what is to come? Now we've got Rochelle on the line who's got a question about gutters. What's going on? I need to have work done on my fascia board and replace one by six wrap with the facial material, remove the old gutter, and put the new gutter on. The contractor is charging me, wants to charge me $1,300, and that would include the parts and the labor. I really would appreciate getting your opinion. So, Rochelle, it's really hard to say if that's the right price because it's not just the price we need. It's the it's the length. It's the complexity. Are we talking about a ranch here? Are we talking about a two-story roof? You know, the more difficult the job, the harder it is to do. In, in terms of range, you're talking about removing and replacing fascia and replacing the gutter. So, you know, it's a chunk of work. I mean, $1,300 to me doesn't sound terrible for the job. Unless again, it's like it really, 10 feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unless it's like 10 feet, like one little piece. But I mean, a good a source of this is something that's called the, the True Cost Report or the True Cost Guide. And it's done by the Home Advisor Company, which is now powered by Angie. But if you search uh, cost to replace fascia or cost to add gutters and just type True Cost Guide, with that, you'll find the guide, and it's a really detailed analysis of the cost and how it changes. But basically, if you were doing this with, say, uh, aluminum, let's say you're putting wood and then aluminum on top and aluminum gutters over that, you know, the, the price on that is probably between 10 and $20 a foot. 
and that doesn't include the gutter, which will add another few dollars a foot. So my gut says it's probably not a bad price, but again, I can't tell you unless I know more about the details of the project. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. John in Washington's online has a question about painting siding. Tell us about it. I recently had a real estate agent come by to talk about a selling my house, and they pointed out that I had a siding called uh, LP Siding, Louisiana Pacific Siding, self-sealing supposedly from the 1990s. And they, it was like a big red flag, I guess, that, that people didn't put any moisture barrier behind it, and it was supposed to be self-sealing when it overlapped. And I was wondering if you guys had heard about it. I, there was a big recall on it. Yeah, the LP siding is, it was famous for its deterioration. It's a composite type of a siding product, and uh, I think it was okay if it was installed perfectly, but the problem is that if you over-nail it and pierce the outside surface, you, it swells up, mm. and it mm. starts to let the water in, and it will start to deteriorate, and it does need paint. I used to joke years ago when this was going on that it was okay as long as you painted it every day before you go to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of work. Because it does, really, it, it, it does really swell. And so I, I think your realtor is correct. It's going to be a red flag. You're going to be dealing with this uh, in the transaction. What I would tell you to do, John, is before you put your home on the market, I would get a professional home inspection done as a seller so that you can find out 
how the house is going to show in the eyes of a buyer's home inspector who will ultimately come in once you have a contract on the place. Because the Louisiana Pacific issue should be investigated and it should be disclosed. And by disclosing it, you're not going to have to dance around with, uh, you know, any reactions from the buyers now not wanting to buy your place or, you know, wanting a big credit as a result. Get to the bottom of it, get to the facts and get it from a professional. And this way, when buyers are looking at it, you can start the conversation with, yes, I know we have LP siding. There's been concerns about it. It is not leaked. Uh, we don't intend to replace it. And I just want to make it clear right now before you have inspector come in and, and, and tell you that it needs to be replaced. We've been following it. Here's the information on it. And uh, I'm kind of putting that on the table. So by identifying it early on, you're not going to have to negotiate it later because what ends up happening in situations like this is, you know, you go down as low as you, as low as you can on the price. Uh, buyers paying as much as they can on the price, and then you find a major problem, the whole deal falls apart. So I'm trying to protect you from that happening. That's good advice. Now, do I go ahead and should I paint it? Or, I mean, I, I sure. it basically painted, right? If it's, yeah, not, okay. if it's not structurally deteriorated, that's why I say get a home inspector on there and take a look at it first yeah. and find out about not only the siding, but look, you're going to pay one price for the inspector to come out. Let him do the whole house. Yeah, okay. And find out what's going on, and this way you can either disclose it or repair it at your option, your leisure, instead of while a buyer is kind of looking over your shoulder at everything you do. You know what I mean? I see. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's that's good advice. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. I was in a hurry to get a painter in, but maybe I should... Uh... Mm, slow down. Slow down a little okay. bit. Yeah. Okay. Get the advice. Yeah. It won't take you long to schedule a home inspection, then you'll have a better idea of what you're doing. Go to the website for the American Society of Home Inspectors. It's homeinspector.org. And you could find an ASHI certified home inspector there. That would be your best place to start. Is that pretty expensive? Probably three or four hundred dollars. Oh, that's well, not bad. Well okay. Worth it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. That's a good idea. I really. I'm glad I called. Thank you. Nancy in Pennsylvania is on the line and having a hot water issue. Tell us what's going on. Well, my uh, my hot water takes so long to, or my water takes so long to get hot when I turn on the spigot. And washing the dishes by hand makes that, uh, I, I, you know, waste a lot of water that way. Nancy, is this a new problem or has this always been the situation? No, it's, it's an old problem. Yeah, and it has to do with the physical distance between the faucet and the water heater. The farther they are apart, the longer you have to wait for the water to heat up. Now, newer water heaters today, and especially the tankless water heaters, are very small. And so the way a lot of builders are addressing this is they're putting in multiple water heaters uh, closer to the the bathing or the washing areas of the house. So typically you'd have one for you know, the kitchen and maybe the laundry area, and you'd have another one for bathrooms. Because these water heaters are so small and so efficient, they can you know, literally squeeze into uh, uh, anything that's uh, smaller than a closet. In your case, though, it's just a matter of the distance that the water has to travel. Unfortunately, um, in a house like this, though, I would say that it's unlikely you will save enough money in water cost to uh, make the installation of an additional water heater worthwhile, Nancy. But is there anything else I can do? Like I have been told uh, different times that uh, insulating the pipes wouldn't help, or some people say it would. Well, the only thing that insulating the pipes will do is it'll keep the water that are, it's in the pipes once it gets there warmer longer. But again, it's a, it's a distance thing. You turn the faucet on, the water starts to move from the water heater where it's hot to the faucet, and it has to purge all of that cold water along the way. Once it purges, it'll stay hot, but it just takes a certain amount of time for that amount of water, that amount of volume of water to move through the pipes. Does that make sense, Nancy? 
Yeah, it does. So there's there's basically nothing I can do except different water room. Well, except moving a water heater closer to the to the unit. I mean, there are recirculators that like sort of take water and recirculate it back all the time. But again, that costs energy too, and that costs plumbing expense too. And I just don't think you're going to save enough to make it worthwhile. Nancy, thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, of all the appliances in your home, a furnace is certainly one that's mission critical, especially if it goes out in the middle of the winter. But if that happens, is it ever worth repairing or is it better to just replace it? Well, it depends. Some parts of a furnace are easy to replace, but if the furnace is old or has got a very serious defect like that crack in the heat exchanger we talked about earlier, replacement always has to be done. All right, but what if your goal is to save energy? How do you determine when it makes sense to replace just to lower your heating costs? And what should you be looking for in that new model? Well, it depends. Increased energy efficiency does make a compelling case for buying a newer furnace, but you're going to want to weigh all of the factors carefully. For example, how much you spent on the old furnace, the projected monthly savings on a new one, and the ongoing repair costs. Now, furnace efficiency is measured by a rating system that's called the annual fuel utilization efficiency. And the minimum one, the minimum standard for furnaces in the U.S. is 80%, with the top performing furnaces measuring up to 97, meaning only 3% of energy escapes through the flue. The higher the rating, the more money you save. One thing to look for, though, is the system with sealed combustion. This reduces the risk of carbon monoxide leaking into your home, and it adds efficiency. Of course, programmable thermostats also give the option of added efficiency. And if you choose to program heat to turn on when you're home and down when you're out or asleep, you can do that, especially with the smart home-style programmable thermostats that actually know where you are physically. I mean, you can program these things so that when you're within 10 miles of your house, the heat is at one level, and if you're a lot farther than that, then it's at a different level. So it sort of automatically saves you money no matter where you are. All right, that's pretty smart. Now, when you're shopping for a furnace, should you also at that time reconsider the type of system that you have or the type of energy that it uses? You know, that would be the time to make the change. But there, again, there needs to be a really good reason to do that. So, for example, in our case... We at one time were running an oil-fired boiler, and I knew that oil tank was getting older. And so when uh, it was time, we decided to abandon the oil tank and then put a, uh, a gas burner on the old furnace, which you can do. You can do a conversion. So we converted that to gas. And this is a long time ago, okay? I'm talking like 20, 25 years ago. Um, but that was the time to change those fuels. Uh, you know, similarly, we paid, you know, pretty high heating bills because we had an older system that wasn't super efficient. And about two years ago, I replaced that with a combi, which is a super efficient gas boiler. And those costs went down like dramatically. So you got to change with the times, but you really need to look at sort of the, the, the how long you're going to be in the house or how long you're going to use that furnace, especially you know when it comes to those efficiency numbers, because the efficient furnaces are a lot more expensive than those that are sort of standard efficiency. And of course, sales folks always like to push them on you, but you need to consider if you're going to be in that house a very short period of time, you're not going to make the money back. And also, are there rebates involved? Today, there's a lot of rebates. I mean, when we bought our combi boiler, we got a significant number of rebates. And I was actually surprised with how inexpensive it was to change the entire heating system to that type of boiler from the one that we have. And I'm using the terms boiler and furnace here interchangeably. But boilers are for those that have hot water and furnaces are for those that heat with hot air. But efficiency is critical no matter what kind of system you're running.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steve, you've got the money pit. Let's talk flooring. What's going on? I have a 1975 um, RV that's got that green shag carpet, and I want to rip that out and put a hardwood floor in. And my question is, is that possible to put a laminate floor in an RV? Steve, you can definitely rip out that old, nasty 1975 shag carpet and get yourself a nice, clean uh, hardwood floor surface, but I wouldn't use hardwood for it. I would use engineered vinyl planks. These rigid planks look just like hardwood, but they wear so much better. And especially if this is an RV, it's going to be moving around, so you want something that's got a little flex to it. So I would just use that. I'd take out the old floor. You'll probably have a decent subfloor there if you have to make any repairs. Then go ahead and put the engineered planks on top of it. LL Flooring has a line called Core Lux. It is 100% waterproof, so you don't have to worry about spills. And it's really inexpensive, and it's totally a DIY project. So that would be my suggestion. John in Delaware is dealing with a spider problem. I can't even talk about it for fear they will <laughs> jump into my house. What's going on? I moved to the beach uh, about 10 years ago. I'm not. I'm 12 miles from the water, but I don't know whether that's part of the problem or not. But we have spiders inside the house all the time. They're always in the corners of the rooms. It's rare to come into any room and not have one. And it seems like as quickly as you get rid of them a week later, you have more in the same areas, and it is very annoying. What do you do to get rid of them, John? The only thing I do is I try to kill them and knock down their little web. Good luck with that. That's not working out too well for you, I bet, huh? No, it's not. You're not going to win the war if that's if that's your treatment approach. The thing about uh, insects today is... The best way to control them is, is is through science. And if you look at a company like Orkin, you know, a company that's been around forever, these guys know exactly what insecticide to put down. They know how to put it down in, in the right amounts. And the products that they use today are very insect-specific. It used to be that there was sort of a broad-spectrum pesticide that was put down. Today, the Pesticides are very, very specific for the problem. And if, you know, if I was dealing with this in my house, I wouldn't be running around with my boot trying to kill them all. I would have the pesticide applied the right amounts, right place, and be done with it. So I would recommend that you call Orkin and have that taken care of the right way. It's safer to do that than to buy over-the-counter pesticides, which you end up over-applying, which are far more dangerous in my view, and certainly a lot less frustrating than having to stomp them to death. Okay, so I I would use a pesticide to control these spiders, and uh, that's the best solution. Okay, and you would not advise trying to do it on your own. You'd advise getting a company that's paying regularly to have them come back? Yeah, you can't buy the products that a professional can buy. They're not available to the general public because they have to be applied just right. That's why it's a good idea to turn to a pro like Orkin. John, thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, ceramic floors are durable and they're easy to care for, but from time to time, you might need to make repairs to that ceramic tile floor. Now, those repairs can vary from grouting repairs to replacing cracked tiles 
And the problem with replacing tiles is often not having matching tiles handy. And we've got some magic tricks that can make them reappear. Yeah, you know, this is something that happens a lot as you set out to do, for example, a bathroom model. It's not always with an old house either. Even a 10-year-old tile can sometimes be hard to find. So when replacing any tile, uh, it's always best to use one that's left over from the original installation. And this way, you can be sure that the replacement tile is going to perfectly match and the existing ones that you have now. But if you don't have any extra squirreled away, bring the broken piece to a well-stocked tile store where you very well might be able to find one that's a very close substitute. Yeah, and you know, you can also consider stealing one from under an area that's not as visible, like maybe if there's a tile inside a closet or under the fridge or dishwasher. And, you know, you got to remember, removing that old tile is tricky, but it's definitely possible. Another option is to have tiles made to order. You can have custom glazes. That's going to cost a little bit more, but you can have them made to match. Just make sure any replacement tiles meet the same standards for ceramic floor tiles that you've already got. Now, but what if, despite all your best efforts, you simply can't find a replacement? Well, you could forget about trying to match the tile altogether and fill the spot with an accent tile. This would be a tile of a different color or texture or pattern In that case, you might want to randomly replace a handful of tiles around the floor or the wall to make the fix blend in with the rest of the field. You know, when I was doing carpentry many, many years ago, working on building very expensive staircases that were custom for homes and things like that, circulars and monobeam stairs and things like that, it was very rare. But occasionally I made a a serious mistake with a cut. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm handling like what was probably a five or $10,000 staircase back then, and I cut something short. I got so good at making those patches that nobody ever knew it wasn't supposed to look that way. <laughs> that's kind of was the secret to a good craftsman. Sometimes we can repair things in a way that's better than it was before the, the defect was discovered or heard or, or happened. And that's kind of what we're talking about with tiles here. You know, you could add some tiles as a feature element and you know, I guarantee you somebody's going to come in and say, I love what you did to your bathroom or where, whatever the room is because they're going to love those features and they never would know that they were there for a, a very strategic reason. Brad's working on a project and he says, I'm building a new patio roof that's 24 feet wide and 20 feet deep. Is there a way to overlap the rear roof of my house without connecting the patio roof to it? The patio roof will be supported by nine six by six posts prefab bases on two foot concrete pylons. So what, he wants to just put this lower so the other one runs over onto it? No, what I think he wants to do, think of like putting an umbrella over your roof. You know, he wants to overlap them. I don't know why you would do that, though. I mean, if the patio roof is high enough, you want to tie it into the roof of your house. And it would be actually a lot stronger, too. It would stop, it would give it a lot more structural strength, especially in the racking movement, which is sort of the side to side. It would be a lot stronger if you tied it in with the roof. And if it's not, then you could tie it in under the roof to the exterior wall of the house. But one way or the other, I wouldn't build this big structure as a standalone. I would connect it to the house for sure. It sounds like you're doing it right. You're building it, you know, essentially the same way you would if it was interior space with the proper supports and the proper footings there. But um, I don't think you should try to have it overlap. I would definitely connect it. I think there's a lot of benefits to that. All right. I hope that helps you out with your project. Now we've got Andrew who writes in saying, we recently had a water heater installed. Ever since then, whenever you turn off the water, it sounds like thunder from the copper pipes vibrating in the basement. What is causing this? Well, I suspect that the copper pipes in your basement are loose, and it might be because of the installation of this new water heater. When they're loose, you have when you use water anywhere in the house, that water has such heft to it that when you turn the faucet off, you know, or if it happens automatically, if it's a dishwasher or a uh, or or a washing machine, 
that water sort of screeches to a halt. But the problem is there's such weight that it sort of takes the pipe with it and it shakes the pipe. And that's where you get that water hammer effect. That's what that's called a water hammer because the water just doesn't want to stop and it takes the pipe with it. And so the solution is fairly simple, though. All you need to do is secure those pipes to the walls and the beams around them. And I suspect that this has only happened since the new unit was put in that the plumber didn't attach the pipes right. So it's a simple fix. It's a matter of a few brackets. You're going to have to just look for those loose pipes and tighten them up. Now, if that rumble that you're hearing is not consistent with running water, which it does sound that way this time, but in case it's not, we'll also tell you that if mineral salts build up in the bottom of a tank, that could happen as well. But again, it's a new water heater, so I don't think that's the case here. But if somebody's listening and has an old water heater and thinks this is, sounds familiar, uh, what you need to do is drain that water heater, turn off the electricity, turn off the gas, uh, drain uh, a few gallons out of that water heater from the drain plug at the bottom. I'm only talking five or ten gallons. And then uh, go ahead and, and, and shut that valve and put everything uh, back on. And that will clear out some of those minerals that will sort of collect at the bottom of the tank. They act as an insulator, and, they, and, and weird things happen to cause it sort of rumbling sound when that, uh, when that occurs, it, especially if you've got hard water, more likely to happen. All right, Andrew, that's all fixable stuff, so fear not. And you might find yourself needing like a white noise machine because you miss those rainstorm sounds. <laughs> you are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on the very first weekend of fall. If you've got a list of projects that you have been thinking about today that maybe you'd like to tackle uh, before it gets too incredibly cold out and you need some help getting them started, you can find us at moneypit.com or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. And this way you can record your question to us. We'll answer it on the show, and you will be good to go to start working on that project. Whether it's a repair, whether it's a remodel, you know, whether you're in the middle of it or you're thinking about starting it, we would love to help. Reach out to us at moneypit.com slash ask. But for now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 